Hello, it is your partner, Big Boy, interested in giving back to your community while making new connections in your neighborhood. Introducing Neighbor to Neighbor, a California volunteers network that empowers you to take action, contribute to local needs, and be a part of something bigger than yourself. Visit caneighbors.com to learn more about how you can get to know your neighbor and strengthen your community. Neighbor to Neighbor, it takes a neighborhood. Hello. Hello, it is your partner, Big Boy, interested in giving back to your community while making new connections in your neighborhood. Introducing Neighbor to Neighbor, a California volunteers network that empowers you to take action, contribute to local needs, and be a part of something bigger than yourself. Visit caneighbors.com to learn more about how you can get to know your neighbor and strengthen your community. Neighbor to Neighbor, it takes a neighborhood. Hello. Hello, my friends, and welcome to this, another edition of the Underdog Football Show. My name is Josh Norris. His name is Hayden Winks. Everyone has done their shows, Hayden. Everyone has recorded their podcast, posted their videos. We all watch the games on Saturday, on Sunday, and on Monday. You and I, today, I'm going to call it the final word on Wildcard Weekend. And again, spinning everything that we have learned from this past week into next week as well. How are you? I'm doing good. I feel like there's a lot of pressure on us to come up with something different than everyone else has been saying. Why don't we just like recap week 16? It's happening so late. We we are busy. That's why. And it's all for the benefit of you guys long term. Give us a second. We are. We are. Uh, Underdog, to peel back the curtain here, is a growing company. We take on multiple roles. I am very proud of the things that we have done over the last week. Even it feels like the company changes on a weekly basis in some facets. I'm sure many of you listening, watching this also love Trill Withers, Chili Whiskers, whatever you want to call him, uh, started his own show on his own YouTube channel. Uh, and Hayden and I had a lot of work put in to help that get started from scratch out of nowhere. And it's crushing. It's doing an awesome, awesome job. And it's, uh, it's fun to be a viewer. You and I don't have the responsibility of doing three hours worth of content every single day please no like that i mean <laughs> too much too much so today we're actually gonna have three shows this week one right now one tomorrow on all the news actually that i think i missed and you missed during super wildcard weekend low-key a news dump season during that time when you know week 18 week 17 is over um then Everyone is getting fired. Everyone is looking at new jobs, eyes on new horizons. And, you know, the Mike Garofalo's of the world, the, the rap sheets, the Charles Robinsons, the Adam Schefters, while everyone's focused in the playoff round one, released some really, really good information. So I'm excited to do that one on Wednesday. And then Thursday, obviously, we'll have our game-by-game preview show for round two, round two of the playoffs. Speaking of those, you can always play playoff best ball. You thought the mitten, the gauntlet were over. No, no, no. They have returned. And you can go check them out in the lobby. So go and play this if you have yet to do so. Okay, Hayden. Did I cover everything? Shall we yep. jump to the games? Let's do it. All right. We'll start with the closest one, the most recent one. That is the Rams being the Arizona Cardinals, 34 to 31. The Rams have gone through, you know, multiple iterations this season. The consistent has been, you know, Cooper Cup. 
setting some records, team records, league records. The highs of Matthew Stafford have obviously been, been incredible. But as we talked about in the show multiple times, after the Robert Woods injury, the team went through a bit of a period of self-discovery. You know, they pivoted over to Sony Michelle at the time. That was huge. The trade for Odell Beckham absolutely turned out to be a massive move for them. And now what we saw this past weekend, the return of Cam Akers with a few Sinsu beans in his pocket. And man, did he look unbelievable. The entire offense changed. I'm not sure if that was just because of Cam Akers, if there was a game plan issue, but the Rams had their lowest neutral pass rate of the season down at 25%. The next closest was at 44%. So this was a dramatic change. And they just basically, you can sum this up. The Rams just kicked their ass. Like yep. to start the game, to end the game, part of it was Cam Akers. Part of it was Sony Michelle. That split, it was uh, Sony Michelle got the start. He played uh, about half the snaps. Then Cam Akers comes in and absolutely just starts balling out. And he looked way more explosive than Sony Michelle. It's two different stylistic runners. Um, ultimately, Cam Akers plays 53% of the snaps, runs around on 52% of the dropbacks, has 17 carries. This is five and a half, six months after his Achilles tear. There was a great piece from Jordan Rodriguez. You have to read that on The Athletic about his comeback and how the Rams attacked this with kind of a new surgery, definitely a new rehab and Cam Akers just being a special talent. So I think this is one of the best stories um, of the NFL season. I have a feeling that this Achilles rehab is going to be like big, big news for many running backs and many NFL players coming back because this is like one of the fastest returns you can think of. And he looked actually explosive. This wasn't just him farting around for like two yards per carry. I've never told this story and hopefully I can deliver it well. Um, I don't talk about very often because, you know, it was a cup of coffee in the NFL, but I did spend a little bit of time with the then St. Louis Rams, kind of a training camp with them, an NFL draft with them. Um, and one of the top scouts at the time, I believe he was the director of college scouting, was Brad Holmes. Brad Holmes, now obviously the general manager of the Detroit Lions, uh, always will be an advocate for Brad Holmes because he's so kind to me. Whenever I'd go down to the Shrine game when it was in Tampa and the Senior Bowl, he would obviously always say hello to me. And one time I stopped him right when, obviously, a year after they moved to L.A., um, he added and they just, you know, signed and hired Sean McVay. And I asked, like, what the biggest difference was between the two. And the first thing that he told me was that Sean cleaned house on the training staff and that side, the medical staff, and brought in, like, forward thinking and new idea people and I mean, I don't know if we have seen a more drastic recovery than what we saw from K makers just with that moment. And just with him looking so good after just the brief appearance that we saw in, in what week 18 from him and on the field. I mean, the Rams have gone through the burst of Daryl Henderson to, to start the season. Then again, we talked about that moment of the power running with Sonny Michelle, which can still be valuable, but you know, he doesn't have the juice that others have a, a seven-yard run for players with speed might be a four-yard run, tough run for Sony Michelle. And now you kind of get the combination of both here with Cam Akers, right? And now that, you know, that magic is out of the bottle and he looks so good and held up so well, I don't think they're ever turning back from him for the remainder of the playoffs. So for the gauntlet returns, the mitten returns, would you rather straight up 
have Cam Akers or Sony Michelle the rest of the season? Who's scoring more fantasy points? Well, straight up, 100%, I'm taking Cam Akers over Sony Michelle, even if Sony Michelle might be that one to get the, the goal line carry. I think Cam Akers, again, has the combination of aggression, power running, force to his contacts to go along to go along with speed because he had a couple plays that were called back as well. And obviously 35 of the 50 something yards that Sony Michelle had came on. It felt like that first carry of the game. And you asked just straight up, I'm taking him straight up, but Sony's still going ahead of him in drafts running back 10 versus running back 12 here. Yeah. I, I think that's going to end up changing. I think I'm with you. I think what happened was they're like, all right, Cam Akers, let's be honest, did not look very good in week 18. So they start with Sony Michelle. They mix in Cam Akers early in the game to see what happens, and he just looks better. And then from that point forward, it was more Cam Akers than Sony Michelle. So I wouldn't be surprised if he started next week. I think this will be a little bit one-two punch just because their skill sets are sure. different. I can see the Rams run the ball a little bit more. All of a sudden, there's this a team that can kind of win in both ways. Kind of reminds me of like those Todd Gurley years. We're like, all right, we, we, all, we can run the ball, but we now actually have a quarterback that can win vertically. Um, so this Ram seems like definitely no joke. I think this team could win the Super Bowl easily. I think that they have uh, a reasonable chance at the upset this week. And I think a part of it is just the offensive line has been playing so well. And it's not a lot of big names. I mean, outside of Andrew Whitworth, but this team, like, it doesn't matter if it's like pass block win rate from ESPN's metrics, PFS metrics. It doesn't really matter. Uh, their efficiency tells the truth. This offensive line has been really smooth for this entire season and it's been that way for years and they really haven't invested like too too much in it just you know some mid-round picks and some cast offs from other teams so yeah we like ask ourselves with the rams what's the difference between like them now versus i don't know week five and and week six obviously robert woods was part of that picture but man getting cam Akers back pivoting over to sony michelle at one point like we talked about but the addition of odell beckham here for this team is is so massive and it's all because of these red zone and and end zone targets we've talked about this countless times on the usage show each and every week but for a player in a condensed field to show that can he he can win not only small but also big is when you line him up in isolation that's like almost an impossible matchup one-on-one for for corners out there. We've seen him win on slants. We've seen him win on inside breaking routes. We've seen him win on fades like this multiple times this season. So, like, look, if Tyler Higby was one of the least efficient with targets inside the 10-yard line this year, if you watch the Manning cast, you can tell that they joked on Matthew Stafford not wanting to, you know, have quarterback sneaks near the goal line. Cooper Cup can get bracketed in this area of the field. Odell Beckham is the difference maker and why he's turned out to have, what, six or seven touchdowns during his time, short time with the Rams versus having zero with the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, he just looks like he can jump really high. Like all these, it's like a slant where he just absolutely rose somebody at the line or he's just winning these jump balls, which is pretty interesting for someone of his build. But it's, yeah, it's the perfect complement to Cooper Cup and Van Jefferson. And by the way, the Cooper Cup stuff, he's going to have a bounce back game. He'll probably have 100 yards next week. Oh, yeah. Um, anything you want to say here about Matthew Stafford? Because I'll pull this up from our buddy here in uh, in Graham Barfield. And he pointed this out. Matthew Stafford was blitzed on a season-high 50% of his dropbacks in the Rams win. Went 7 of 9, 148 yards, and a touchdown. I mean, Matthew Stafford has been amazing against the blitz all season long. 
And because of that, he was blitzed at a league low rate 17% of the time. So this is a Cardinals team that maybe didn't recognize that or felt that they weren't getting home with four, felt they could do something different here, and it blew up in their face. I mean, the Cardinals just didn't have any good corners. That's what what happened. The yeah. The Cardinals just lost like all their best players. Like that's like basically what happened here, and especially in the secondary. So, I mean, the plan would have been we're gonna just let our corners try to cover these guys for like three seconds, four seconds. Like I don't like that strategy either. So when they went with the boom bust strategy, blew up in their face. Matthew Stafford is willing to stay in the pocket against the blitz, get hammered, and throw the ball downfield still, and that's how uh, they can be so efficient against the blitz. So. Uh, definitely a very well-rounded team. Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald, they had great games themselves, and this team's just, they've got the pieces. Cardinals time. Cardinals drives two through four. They end on a third and 11, a third and 16, and a third and 17. I mean, when you get to a third and 16 after sacks and negative plays on your third series and attempt a throwback pass in order to get that conversion, you know your plan and your script isn't working. It just felt like nothing was going to hit early in this game. And I mean, they didn't cross midfield for the first time until there was 630 left in the third quarter. Their offensive line's not very good. Their defense, like this version of their defense without the corners was just not very good. So you just like look at their roster, like really it's not even close. Like the Rams roster is just way better. I think that we can all agree that the Cardinals just overperformed this year in general. So like, I don't want to overreact and like come for Cliff Kingsbury's head. I know the, like the, the splits from like September versus December. Like I get it, but this team was probably a year away. The problem though, is they kind of went all in this year with like some of the additions that they had, like the JJ yep. walk uh, contract. Uh, AJ green had void years. Uh, Deandre Hopkins is an expensive or a really expensive contract. James Conner was a one year deal. Like there's a lot of pieces. They just trade for Rodney Hudson. So I think there was a lot of pieces that this was the year that they had circled. Just the, the problem is like, if you look at their first round picks over the last couple of years, like outside of Kyler Murray, I mean, come three on. linebackers, three so off all linebackers, bad. so bad. Like that's just the problem. They just don't have enough good players. Like I, I hate to make it so simple, but like if you just look at their roster, I think we were overrating how good it was. And Kyler Murray's a great, great quarterback. He's not like a top three, top five guy. I think he's like in that next tier, and he's just not good enough by himself without DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah, I mean, Kyler's a great deodorant. He was earlier this year. He was incredible at being the focal point and just making things things happen. It kind of happened, you know, at the start of the 2020 season as well. But, you know, once you lose a player who may be in a third and 11, a third and 16, a third and 17, that you can throw it up to one-on-one and ask him to make a really, really tough catch in DeAndre Hopkins, everything goes by the wayside. And I do think that, like, Kyler took a step forward this year where he was seeing the field a lot better. Kind of tough to see the field when the Rams, you know, skill players and yeah, I, height is always an issue when we have this this conversation as, you know, prehistoric as that might conversation might be. I, I, I do think seeing over the middle of the field that that's part of it. That that really is part of it. It's and not a mean Aaron it's Donald true. plus Von Miller plus Taven Howard and like a few others. Leonard Floyd being a great, great role player as well. They could never get out of first gear, get something going. And then once, you know, you're behind 21, nothing, 28 to nothing, whatever it is, the, the game's gone. The game's yeah. gone. Yeah, it's it's something to watch for with the the Kyler Murray height thing. I think people are going to start talking about it. It's not the end of the world. But I think that, that if you're looking at weaknesses, throwing him throwing over the middle 
is one of those spots. He kind of misses some of those reads. Uh, but it's still, I mean, this team's still going to be competing next year. Like, I, I don't want to completely yep. panic. And we got to remember, this Cardinals team was really bad for a long time right before Cliff got there. So I don't think we should come for his head quite yet. Yeah, I mean, they had back-to-back top 10 picks, right? Then got yeah. the number one overall selection after he just took the head coaching job. I mean, they were one of the worst franchise in the league and he has, you know, elevated them in what three, three straight years. Yeah. Um, get some more explosive pieces on the outside. Christian Kirk's also a free agent, but I'm sure we have plenty of time to talk about the Cardinals this offseason. All right. Yeah. Next game. Staying in the NFC West, the San Francisco 49ers beat the Dallas Cowboys 23 to 17. The Cowboys, if we can start here, never hit in unison for like, this entire season outside of maybe one or two games out of 18. So it should be no surprise that in this entire performance, it felt discombobulated. It felt disorganized. It felt flat. And there are preview show for wildcard weekend. I kept asking, cause I'm, you know, an optimistic guy, Hayden, what if, you know, it does all align during the playoffs and maybe instead I should have been asking what if, that doesn't change when they hit the playoffs because really that's the answer that we just got. It was just coaching malpractice from the head coach. Honestly, the offensive uh, coordinator and Kellen Moore too. There was just, it, this often just felt stuck and I did not like how they used CD lamb. For example, they moved him back outside. He was not very targeted, tar- targeted very often. Uh, the defense didn't make that many plays. They, you didn't have that explosive game wrecking play really outside of the one late interception and Dak Prescott just didn't play well enough. And I think that really like there was just all of the coaching blunders from the, the delay a game from some of the times when they're punting or kicking field goals rather than, I mean, it was just a total mess. I think that you could justify firing uh, Mike McCarthy. It does not sound like they're going to do that. Jerry Jones has some patience here. Look at the Jason uh, Garrett conversations we had for a decade. So I think it's just going to be back to the, same old Cowboys, a talented roster. This is probably going to be the talented, ro- the most talented roster that they would have because of their cap situation. They're going to be losing some guys this offseason. So really, it just comes down to is the coaching staff getting uh, better use out of their players. And we'll see about the offensive line, Michael Gallup, some of the defensive pieces. And this team also had like the best turnover luck the entire season. It's like this right. was supposed to be the year. So like getting a wild card bounce was like super tragic. Yeah, it certainly seems like. Dan Quinn is going to have his choice of head coaching gigs this offseason. Might not even be able to leave Denver without an offer. Uh, And even if he does return, like out of nowhere, even if they do find a really good replacement, maybe in like a Mike Zimmer potentially going there, um, you're not going to have the same turnover luck. It just does not happen year over year where Trevon Diggs can, you know, mask some inefficiencies with his game with extreme, extreme turnover luck. And as you alluded to, the, the list of errors in this game were comedic. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about the final play. There's a sunlight that hits the stadium because of how it's built and it blinds their own wide receiver to not convert a first down. Um, you leave in the punt team after converting a fake punt when the defense already has their base squad out there. Like, why are you trying to force them to burn a timeout when they're up by a lot of points in the fourth quarter that just from a situational standpoint, makes absolutely no sense. This team was extremely undisciplined. 
mean, there's a third and five offside by Randy Gregory, defensive holding and back-to-back drives. I truly wonder how many defensive holdings on running plays were called in the NFL this year because for the Cowboys to get them on back-to-back snaps, absolutely unreal. They misspelled Leighton Vander Esch's name on the back of his jersey. And then Jerry Jones started walking to the locker room with 55 seconds left in this game. I mean, I'm sure it even hit on all of them. 14 penalties called. Just error after error, mismanagement after mismanagement. And I think that's going to take the headlines. Not to throw this under the bus, but maybe most concerning was that this offense made nothing, nothing look easy in the first half. Yeah, I think that Cullen Moore deserves a lot of criticism after this game. And maybe the thing that you were talking about where they were just rushing for, and that's basically what happened. And they're just dropping seven and just playing pretty soft, basic coverages and just making you figure out a way to stop it. And this was so concerning because Nick Bosa didn't even play for most of this game. Right. And like this was this was just tragic. There was a couple times where their left guard was just like right here, Ole, right through. And I mean it was just it was a very bad game. One of the worst games the Cowboys have had all season. And uh some of these like defensive holding, that's because like you're getting a lot of the outside uh, zone, some of these tosses they're going to, to Debo and stuff. And like they were just holding on for dear life. And this game could have gotten more of a blow. I saw some clips of Micah Parsons running across the field at about 100 miles an hour, saving some plays, like diving, pushing players out of bounds. If he wasn't such a freak athlete, I think we would have saw multiple 30, 40, 50 yard uh, runs too. So all of the awards of the Cowboys and the coaching staff, the front office, all of it kind of came together. And this was probably one of the most talented rosters in the NFL. And I don't think we're going to see a Cowboys roster as talented as this one for as long as Dak Prescott's uh, contract gets starts to balloon more and more and more. The other last note, this freaking Zeke Elliott contract, holy crap. <laughs> $18 million cap hit next year. They cannot well, get out of it. There, there, there is a little, I mean, they can do a post June 1st cut. And like no that's a little do, different. But no, no team does does those. They they do it every once in a while, but then you can't spend that money until June first. Yeah. You know, so like it it gives you no benefit really until until the next season. Um, I'm I'm with you. And like the first two drives that the Cowboys had, three plays for negative 13 yards ended in a third and 13. Five plays for 10 yards ended in a third and 16. As you alluded to, like this is where all the investment has been in for years and years and years on paper that should be top three or top five in the league. When the opposing offense goes out there and gets, you know, points early, you have to match them. You have to match them. Remember when Bill O'Brien a couple of years ago got so much flat because they left in the first round of the playoffs. You and I were working at a different company at the time. I kept asking like, and a lot of people other did too, like where are the layups? Where are the easy plays? I got that same exact feeling when watching Dak Prescott plus Kellen Moore on the opposite side. Then you get Jimmy G and Kyle Shanahan. Like when the defense dropped seven, Dak had to get to his third read all the time. Maybe that's like a slight little downfall of having a quarterback who is hyper intelligent that will work in the confines of the pocket, will be patient and get to your third read. Because as a play caller, you say like, oh, I can trust him to do that. Well, what you should be doing is helping him create things inside the flow and the structure and misdirection and all this stuff. And it just felt like that was non-existent here. Create stuff early, often, and quickly, and they couldn't. Yeah. I think it's going to cost him a coaching opportunity this year. I'm now thinking that Kellen Moore 
and McCarthy are going to stay. Dan Quinn will probably go to the Broncos. And then I think I like the name that you threw out there in Zimmer. I think it's going to be like the same structure, the same core guys, just some of the secondary pieces like a Michael Gallup are going to be out the door. And then it's just like hoping that the offense can figure some of these things out because we're talking about five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten turnovers that are not going to go your way next year. And maybe this, uh, you know, this, this division maybe will get better one year. And then all of a sudden you, you lose that advantage too. So uh, super disappointing, obviously the most disappointing team probably of, of this year, I would say they had, they, they could have won the Super Bowl. Again, I was too optimistic. Like I kept asking, Hey, maybe this is the time. This is the week that it's all going to match up. And instead I just should have realized that it, it wasn't going to, and off the top of my head, Cedric Wilson's a free agent. Michael Gallup is a free agent. Heck, Dalton Schultz is a free agent. And Dalton Schultz could get a massive contract from all these teams that have huge, huge payrolls because he has morphed into a complete tight end out there. And those rarely, rarely hit the market after I think they gave Blake Jarwin a contract just a year or two ago um, as well. Again, I know this should be about the winning teams because we're going to see the winning teams more often, but I want to start with the Cowboys there and not even talking about the last play. We didn't even bring that up. Um, Let's talk about the 49ers though, because you know me, you know where I'm headed with this, what you need from Jimmy Garoppolo in this season in in this game. And again, finish 16 to 25, 172 with an interception, make a couple of third down throws early in this game. He absolutely did that, that out route to, Juwan Jennings, awesome. That sideline throw to Brandon Ayuk after breaking the pocket, fantastic. That's it. You're done. Don't make any mistakes. When you go up, what, 23-7 to at halftime, and what do we get? We got a misfiring on the blaze out to Brandon Ayuk on 3rd and 11 from a clean pocket up 23-7 to at the 50-yard line, which kind of would have ended the game. It would have allowed them you know, to get in the opponent's territory and keep winding the clock. Throws interception in his own territory after being pressured on second and 11. Then snaps the ball with time left on the play clock when Trent Williams wasn't set on fourth and one, which again, that fourth and one conversion would have ended the game. Throw to kill in the dirt. I mean, there's more and more plays. Like even before this last drive that everyone's focusing on, I think we overlook that the Cowboys had a chance, an entire drive to win this game, but they had a third and 11 and then a fourth and 11. And I can't get it out of my head that the only reason the Cowboys had a chance to win this game was because of the second half performance of Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah. And now he has a right shoulder sprain and a thumb injury that made him limited today. So that's, I think like one of the bigger storylines and he injured that shoulder early in the game. So I'm not sure if that's kind of why the offense like really kind of puckered, like they just didn't like move the ball at all. It seemed very conservative. Everyone was trying to make 20 to three jokes uh, when it came to that. Um, but there were just some missed throws. I don't know if it was the thumb, if it was the shoulder, if this is just classic Jimmy G. It's probably a little bit of all of that. Um, but the good news for Jimmy G is he's got Debo Samuel, George Kittle, and Elijah Mitchell. And Elijah Mitchell looked great again. And same thing with Debo Samuel. This guy cannot just stop scoring touchdowns uh, from 20 yards out. So it'll be another conservative game plan. And I think that this def- defense is better than what I thought it was. They're missing some pieces. They have to get Nick Bosa back out of the concussion protocol. But if they get those two things, I think that they can compete next week. Yeah. I mean, what D'Amico Ryans is doing and D'Amico Ryans is getting so much love by the local media more so than the national media. When sometimes that's even flipped, you just think about it on paper before we get even to like the individual performances, he's stepping in for Robert Sala, 
who just got a head coaching job with the New York Jets after multiple, multiple great seasons. And Ryan's has like not missed a beat at all, despite like an amazing amount of injuries, an amazing amount of injuries at like one of the most position important positions in football at the cornerback spot. It really helps that they get their slot cornerback in and K1 Williams made a great interception here. But you look at like the defensive lineman that got run. And again, they're winning with four with the likes of Ark Armstead, Samson Ebukam, Charles Omenahu, and DJ Jones, along with Arden Key, who we've talked about a lot. Nick Bosa played fewer snaps than all of those players. In fact, Nick Bosa played the same amount of snaps as Jordan Willis. These are names. I can bring up Willis. I can bring up Key. I can bring up Charles Omenahu, who, if you've been following the NFL draft for a few years, they're like middle to late round types who like latch on with the team and then after it doesn't go that well because you're on a bad team, you kind of get cast away, but you have some athletic profile or size. And like, if you can get traded or sign a one-year deal with the 49ers, it's reclamation process season, you know, like they, they crush it there and they hand out contracts or other teams are going to hand out contracts because now you have production in this defense. It is probably the team that like invest in their front seven, like more than anybody. This has gone back from like a full decade. Like they always have, three, four, five, six interior defensive linemen on top of their edge rushers, then they happen to have some of the best linebacker play for the last decade too. So uh, injuries to note, Fred Warner and Nick Bosa. Those two are going to be huge storylines along with Jimmy G. Um, I, I saw some initial reports that this Jimmy G injury might be a little bit serious, but he was limited today. That tells me he's probably going to play, but we have to watch for effectiveness as well. Sometimes these quarterbacks return earlier um especially during the playoffs and like they're clearly not ready so we'll we'll learn more um via reports for the preview show on thursday where if you remember and i'm gonna pull it up right now if i can where did we have the 49ers and what bracket did we have for them in the tiering group i believe it was in the it's possible category Three. and that was ahead of the patriots that was ahead of the eagles in fact we placed them ahead of the cardinals and right after the Bengals in that tier are we cool i mean it still is it's possible for them but again why i kept nominating them for the stars must align category is the jimmy garoppolo experience because again there was absolutely no reason that the cowboys should have been in this game and to me it was all based on the mistakes after another, after another, after another, why they even had an opportunity to win it. Yeah, this was not the best Jimmy G game. He did enough in the first half, though. So, Exactly. But you, <laughs> then you just can't make mistakes and let the other team back in it. Okay. Let's now go to the Patriots and the Bills. Bills 47. Patriots 17. No punts. No turnovers. No field goals for the Bills. Two straight games, actually. The Bills did not punt against the New England Patriots. Think about that. That's Bill plus Steve Belichick and the Buffalo Bills did not have, did not register a single punt in those contests. Listen, it's easy to focus and read into one single game. Say that no team was better than the Bills this weekend. Consider them perhaps the front runner of the teams that we saw in super wildcard weekend. This truly was Hayden, a perfect performance. I mean, it could be the best offensive performance ever. They they got every single yard that was available for them. They did not punt. I don't think that they went to fourth down either. I mean, this was one of the, the all-time greats, and this is just like the ceiling that Josh Allen uh, gives you. Like, 
even among the elite guys, Josh Allen's ceiling just seems like a little bit higher than everybody else's. So um, it's this team is no joke. Their defense is so well coached. They go about five receivers deep right now. I think that was my biggest takeaway here is what they did at the wide receiver position. Uh, the route percentages, it was 77% for Diggs. Obviously, he's not going to come off the field. Gabe Davis was actually second with 65%. Emmanuel Sanders, 55%. So those two were kind of rotating on the outside. And then in the slot, Isaiah McKenzie, uh, he actually started. He ran more routes than Cole Beasley. Cole Beasley was demoted. And all this happened while the Patriots only played man coverage on 21% of their dropbacks. So this wasn't uh, just, oh, Isaiah McKenzie, man coverage, he's the guy. Like, no, this was like zone coverage, throw Isaiah McKenzie out there. Do you know why? Because he's just better. So this team is just has a couple uh, different players that can win on the inside or the outside. They're going to play matchups. They all give you a little extra wrinkle. And Dawson Knox is like elevated into like a legit pass catching option. He ran around on 94% of the dropbacks. That was more than Steph Diggs and anybody. Um, so right now it's like Steph Diggs, Dawson Knox, Devin Singletary. They're not coming off the field. And then, then the rest of the group all are positive role players and then just josh allen whenever he wants to just truck you he can do that too yeah i want to bring up some of the names that you just mentioned again stefan diggs is winning on the outside when he needed to healthy emmanuel sanders gabe davis and cole beasley which at one point in the season it felt like that was never going to happen at all dawson knox emerging as you outlined and isaiah mckenzie is the perfect role player i mean manufactured touches if you want to crossing routes if you want to he had that like catch on the sideline on second and 10 that he tight rope that turned it into a third and three. He truly is the second most explosive player on that offense. Oh yeah. Bar none. He's legit good. But the root of it all is Josh Allen. And he is the ultimate X factor considering also the weather was not good. Certainly wasn't in a dome five degrees wind cold. You could not tell by his performance. We can talk about the throwing and you just did. I want to outline how big of a difference it is for the rushing for him. Because early on, one-on-one in a second and 10, plenty of time in a clean pocket, the OL picks up that extra pass rusher, Matt Judon drops back, and he just runs by him like he's in quicksand. You know, then almost immediately after this, a couple plays later, it's a, after again, that Isaiah McKenzie to make it a third and three, Josh Allen, quarterback power he runs through Dante Hightower Dante Hightower is one of the best thumping linebackers of the past decade and he just runs through it like an arm tackle like it's like it's absolutely nothing what is this with Isaiah McKenzie in the backfield Dawson Knox split out there Brian Dayball gets to like try all these new things and it's all working right now it's absolutely all working at this moment this seems no joke um as for the gauntlet we need to rank these pass catchers. So I think first off, Devin Singletary deserves to be the RB three. I think that is appropriate for him. I do not think there is a drafting him too early. If they can beat the chiefs, I like uh, whoever wins the, the spills chiefs team. I think that though that team is going to the super bowl, even if it's on the road against the Titan, these two teams just look like they're in a different tier. Um, so I don't think that you can draft Devin Singletary too early. Dawson Knox, Gabe Davis, Emmanuel Sanders, Cole Beasley, Isaiah McKenzie. I think I'm going to rank Cole Beasley dead last. His ceiling is the lowest. He's behind Isaiah McKenzie. I think I would draft Isaiah McKenzie right next to Emmanuel Sanders. So out of the group, I think the best value is Isaiah McKenzie. All completely fade Cole Beasley and just sprinkle in the rest. 
it kind of just makes me want to draft Josh Allen and Devin Singletary. I mean, well, you got to stack them. I know, I know you do, but I mean, you have Josh Allen who's going to have a heavy hand in everything that they do. And really this team, and I, part of me wondered if the rushing attack with like a pure running back was ever going to happen with this Buffalo Bills team, because we saw how it was topsy-turvy all year with Singletary, Zach Moss inactive in week one. Then you throw in Matt Breida from some explosive plays. They got it going down the stretch as well with Devin Singletary. I thought that was opponent-based. It's clearly not. It's something like they can rely on when they want to, when there are light boxes up front. Now they have a counter to all of that, which makes them completely dangerous. And then one added element I want to talk about with his mobility was on that Dawson Knox play, which he admitted afterwards that he was just trying to throw yeah. it out of the corner of the end zone. He was able to buy time for 9.19 seconds from snap to throw. That doesn't happen throughout the league at all, ever, yeah. and ultimately ends in a really, really positive play. To answer your question that I was trying to get away from, yes, I would put Isaiah McKenzie right in line with Emmanuel Sanders, but I think it's very different types where Manny can have that one big shot down the field. Gabe Davis can have that one big shot down the field. And I don't know if that's really Isaiah McKenzie's game, but again, the explosive factor that he brings in there and how with Dayball, the manufactured touch player, to me, that is very, very important. And again, it's the magic that they're not getting away from. They're incorporating more and more and more. And we're talking about a full bye week before the Super Bowl, if they can get there, like that designed play for Isaiah McKenzie, that playbook gets a little bit thicker with an extra week of rest. So yeah, Isaiah McKenzie is the man. I, I think talking about for next year too, he they're both free agents, or I think they're going to cut uh, Cole Beasley, Manuel Sanders, a free agent. So is Isaiah McKenzie. I bet they re-sign Isaiah McKenzie and make him a priority. So Isaiah McKenzie got to get paid. He deserves someone's got to so pay fast. him. Like even if it's a Jacksonville being their slot wide receiver, like he he's got to get a starting job somewhere based on based on these performances. All right, before we bounce from the Bills, let's talk about the Patriots. A little bit because I actually saw, and this was early on. I mean, this game got really out of hand, but let's just talk about like those first couple drives here with Mac Jones. Like I thought Mac Jones showed some things that third and 14 outside the pocket conversion that he made the third and 10 run. Then it's the throw to, to Micah Hyde and man, what a bad beat this was because if it was a worth worse throw, this would just be incomplete. I mean, he's trying to lead him. Sees the single high safety, getting it to his one explosive receiver on the outside. And again, if it's not good placement, there's no way that in stride Micah Hyde is making this interception. Just an unbelievable play by the safety on a really, really good throw. So I think it's like the perfect example of what the this passing offense could look like next year. Number one, they can replace Nelson Aguilar, who was like going to like breadbasket this thing instead of like you'd like to see him high point this so Micah Hyde doesn't have a chance the other part is Mac Jones he was pump faking the I think it was a, either a cover three or a man corner on the outside and was not looking at the safety who was who's actually supposed to be pump faking you're supposed to have your eyeballs kind of control that safety so he doesn't have time to get there so some of those little things he'll get better at and I think that he played pretty well and ultimately got this team to the playoffs with this skill group still needing some bodies, especially at uh, wide receiver one. So um, I think that you take this season as a win. If you're a Patriots fan, you have a quarterback who might not have top five upside, but I think he can kind of sneak in there and be like a bottom of the top 10 conversation type of quarterback. 
maybe if you're lucky, he turns into like a Philip Rivers type. And for where they were last year, I think you have to take that as a win and just get out of there and move on to the offseason. It was kind of easy to pile on the Patriots after this performance. And obviously, since Mac Jones couldn't carry them out of the steps or Matt Josh on throw for throw, it was easy to, you know, criticize the offensive performance that they had. When I look back a year ago at this point, I am so impressed, honestly, by what the Patriots were able to do in, in just a year. Like when you went from Cam Newton and Brian Hoyer and other options they had at quarterback last year to what they are now when really reinventing themselves, bringing in Trent Brown, not even having early in the season, like a five set offensive lineman. Let's not forget at one point in this year, in this set, in the season, they were at their best when they went three wide with Mac Jones and asked, and put a lot of responsibility on him. Then they got back to what they were trying to be, which is Ramondre Stevenson, especially Damian Harris, run the ball. Now, if that doesn't work early on and you face, you know, a buzzsaw like the Bills, that's not going to get you back into these contests. But for a one-year reestablish, let's spend money, let's hit on a couple drafts in a row, I'm very impressed with what Bill Belichick, Josh McDaniels, and company did. And hopefully they're able just to build on this. I guess the difference is with Mac not being an athletic phenom, he has to be really accurate, really smart, really timely. No one is going to be able to match Tom Brady in all of those areas, but you can still win with that type when you have better players around him. Let's get this guy, Drake London. How about like a legit number one? Just whoever Calvin the number Ridley. one. Calvin Ridley, sure. Why not? Let's get let's get him a number one so we can actually see what this offense looks like. I, I think you're right. I think that like 90% Joe Burrow, I mean, that's kind of where I'm expecting mac jones to be and that's good enough to to compete for for playoffs con- consistently and that's am, am, am i a simp for like thinking that this was impressive by bill belichick and the patriots organization like i understand that they overpaid for nelson Aguilar. i understand they overpaid for what they got with johnny smith but that type of changeover after you go decades of winning the identity of your team is gone you have the mess of what the offense was last year with cam with manufactured touches and like throwbacks with Julian Edelman. Like it was so gross. Remember how gross it was to now having an identity on that side. And as we talked about for, for weeks, they were slow on defense. Like this was an impressive, impressive season that the Patriots put together. Yeah. Their identity can't be the slowest team in the league. Like I get wanting to win with power. You can pick your spots with like wanting to be more physical, but you can't be just like, we're going to be more physical at every single position. And by, and we're going to end up being the slowest team in the league by far. Like their linebacker play, like I get it. Some of them are good. There's going to be replacements, but like, man, they just got to get a little bit faster everywhere. Uh, And I think most importantly at wide receiver. Yeah. I, I had a conversation on Twitter with, uh, Liam, who won million dollars on underdog this year, and he, he outlined how the Patriots got lucky in, in some of the teams that they face, like the Browns without Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt in that game and the Falcons without Cordero Patterson. Well, I went back. I mean, they combined to win 70 to seven in those contests. So like it wasn't lucky, like they smashed them. They were going to smash them no matter what. So I'm I'm in the Patriots. I'm re- it's really intriguing to me how many steps they want to take, because I think we're going to be able to figure out exactly who they want to be again. Heading into uh, heading into next year. Okay, Raiders nineteen, Bengals twenty six. The Bengals did not punt until seven minutes left in the third quarter. Twenty 
first half points. These are the moments. These are the things that stood out to me. They're scoring drives. 10-play touchdown. Four-play field goal after Trey Hendrickson's strip sack. Eight-play drive, which ended a field goal for 33 yards. 12-play touchdown drive. Nine-play field goal drive. 13-play field goal drive. This is slightly the difference or maybe just the completeness of what the Bengals have become and evolved to as the season has gone along. You are throwing up the neutral pass rates right now. Stands out to me. These aren't just running base drives that take a dozen plays to hit. They're passing play drives now that they're trusting Joe Burrow to slowly, you know, take out chunks of the defense on route to again, taking time off the clock and racking up these 10, 12, 13 play touchdown drives. This is an evolved offense. Their three highest neutral pass rate games of the season just happen to be the three last games with Joe Burrow. They're at 65 or 67% in each one of them. And obviously those have been the three best offensive performances or three of the top offensive performances of the year. It's just no, no coincidence. When you throw the ball to Jamar Chase and T Higgins, good things are going to happen. Um, and they're using Joe Mixon a little bit more as a receiver um, as well. So they're still getting their best players involved just because you're not running. It does not mean that Joe Mixon becomes a, a secondary option. If you build a lead, Joe Mixon's running well enough to kind of melt out that clock. And he's still a good um, pass game guy, but like this offense is just, is just Joe Burrow taking his shots. I think that's like one of the, probably his most underrated trait is when there's a one-on-one matchup somewhere down the field, a lot of quarterbacks are like, ah, maybe let's just try to find the check down. He's just like, no, F it. Let's just like throw the ball and see if T. Higgins or Jamar Chase can come down with it. And most of the time, it's working. I think that he's doing this despite this offensive line being really bad. Like, I thought that the right tackle was a little bit of an issue, oh, um, yeah. obviously, without Riley Reef there. So he's doing this. He has to create all the time. So he takes a ton of sacks. I think that's like the, his biggest flaw, but he's taking those sacks because he's like willing to give his receivers a chance. And like, that's like winning football in the long term. I like how the Bengals were playing it cautious early in the season with Joe Burrow's knee, but now that he's earned the the right to just go rip it, that's what this offense has kind of turned into. Yeah, I'm going to toss it up now thanks to Ben Fennel for putting this together. Max Crosby was winning. I mean, Max oh, yeah. Crosby was getting to the backfield. Joe Burrow was just, you know, getting to his drop, back foot, ball out, hyper hyper accurate. And so when your quarterback is that way to me this is why sometimes having a having a pass rush or a defense that is reliant on really two players to get to the quarterback if you have a smart quarterback who is accurate with a good arm that even when his time to throw is very low he's still attacking it you know 5 7 10 15 yards down the field it mitigates any type of pass rush that you're able to put out there like that to me was the biggest, biggest concern of not only the Raiders defense, but other defenses that are built in this way, because you almost have to have, you have to create confusion at the quarterback. So he holds the football long enough in order to get home for it. Yeah. Quick fantasy note, uh, CJ Uzoma, 88% routes. So I think that he is draftable uh, with Joe Burrow stacks. The Joe Burrow stacks are not cheap on the gauntlet or the mitten. Uh, but they have a chance to beat the Titans on the road. Obviously, they they dodged uh, the Bills and the Chiefs in the first two weeks. They got the perfect 
uh, bracket set up for that. I think that they can beat the Titans. I think it's going to be a high-scoring affair, but we'll get to that on Thursday. Can we also talk about the differences between Jamar Chase and T. Higgins? Because I think this game outlined them considerably. T. Higgins and Jamar Chase at points this year were kind of bouncing back and forth with who had the best game, especially in the middle part of the season. Well, in this game, Jamar Chase finishes with nine receptions, 116 yards. T. Higgins, one catch for 10 yards. And again, the difference is, is, is in their play. They're two good players, but one is next level. And the Bengals even got Chase involved in running plays. And I don't know if we had seen that like really at all this season. There's that jet sweep on second and five for a first round. There was another one with the fourth and one from the 31 that gained 15 yards with that sweep that action as well. Play. Yeah. And then there were other times when they knew that he is the one that is their best yards after catch option. Like on a third and 15, he's the one that had that underneath route with the blockers out in front. Jamar Chase, you know, he's not six, four. He's not the unreal athlete that we've seen these phenoms at, at wide receiver across the league. But what he already has so well is the timing with Joe Burrow. The hand use is out of this world in terms of wise beyond his years there to create these slivers of separation. Sometimes his shorter arms are better than having longer arms because he can push off and it's not as obvious. He's so adept and mature at the position already. His his work along the sideline too, it was all on display, I thought, in this game. Yeah, it looks like a top 10 receiver already. Like, no question about a top 10. So yeah, he just moves differently than Tegan's. Tegan's a good jump ball receiver. He could be a number one. I think he's best used as a number two in this role. Um, but Jamar Chase is just like, he's moving different. So what a ball. Any, anything we want to talk about here with with Las Vegas? Um, I mean, they get the ball back 26 to 19. I mean, they had a chance here, like third and four knockout by Jesse Bates and Hunter Renfro, I thought was like the unsung play of this game because at the time it was 23 to 13. It was a pretty deep pattern of 17 or 18 yards. And Jesse Bates out of nowhere just comes up and knocks it out of reliable wide receiver's hands. I thought they had some really nice chunk runs by Josh Jacobs in the second quarter, which gives me a little bit of concern about the Bengals upcoming matchup. But we'll talk about that on Thursday Anything else you want to talk about here with the Raiders? The roster or the, the Raiders roster is just not good. Like they've got Max Crosby's good. Derek Carr is good. Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro are good. After that, it's just like ugh. offensive line is not good. So Derek Carr, I think, and Max Crosby basically carried this team. And I think that we'll see who the Raiders are going to hire at um, head coach. But there was already reports from from Rapshi. We'll talk about this tomorrow. Um, that Derek Carr is going to uh, basically pick if he wants to get traded based off of who is the head coach. And he's already said that he wanted uh, Rick Basaccia to stay. So we'll see. The, there was just – this; they were just so outcoached. Like, and yeah. outcoached by the Bengals. I mean, the one play, the final play here with the, the, the play that you just had up, it was to win the game, it's fourth down – and Darren Waller chips and then runs basically a little flat route. Hunter Renfro, your best receiver, he runs a flat route. You're nine yards away, and your two best players made it about three yards downfield. You're throwing it to freaking Brian Edwards and Zay Jones with the entire uh, defense dropping back. And like that's the play designed. Why are we using Darren Waller to chip? If if there's pressure on the right tackle, the game is over. You need to have Darren Waller run a freaking route. Like, and this was just 
too conservative the entire game. And like if I was Derek Carr, I would say enough already. It's been eight years, and this is what we're getting out of this. This is just it was just too much to overcome. The Raiders probably shouldn't have been in the playoffs, but that I, I don't think like Rich Basaccia um deserves this head coaching job. Um, despite like getting this team to the playoffs was a victory, but this team was just still so far away from even beating the Bengals. Couple notes on this. Ted Wen, friend of the show, pointed this out. This is basically Hayden, the play that the Chargers sent the Raiders game into overtime with. Uh, two quick curls on the middle. Obviously, Herbert made the throw to the opposite hash. Derek Carr took it on the inside. So that is a little interesting to me where we know the league is a bit of a copycat one. And uh, the Raiders in the next week bring this out in the play that they need to win on. And it's exactly what the Chargers did this past week. But yeah, I'm with you. Like, why would Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller be seven yards short of the end zone in, in that dynamic? But I mean... It also wants me to give a little bit of credit to like how the Raiders even got to this point this season. Like when you line up on paper, John Gruden fiasco, Henry Ruggs ruining his career. Like that is your head coach. That is the player that was changing the passing game in terms of the downfield ability this season. Uh, it's amazing that they even got to this point, you know, with the offensive line having major miscues at points, other pieces as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I can't wait to talk about some of that stuff on, on Wednesday, but interesting times ahead. And it, this was clearly Derek Carr's best season as professional. Yeah, for sure. That's, I mean, this is what a top 12 quarterback can carry a bottom half roster into the playoffs. If I was, if I was the Browns or one of those teams, the number one priority for me is we're trying to trade for Derek Carr. Cause it sounds like Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers are saying, I think Derek Carr is like the Matthew Stafford of this year. And I don't think that Matthew Stafford and Derek Carr are like that much different uh, when it comes to like trade value and stuff. So I think that he's going to be like the name and it's not the sexiest name out there, but I think he's an underrated player, probably the most underrated quarterback, like a legit uh, playoff uh, worthy quarterback. So I'm glad that we got to see it at least for one game. All right. Two more games before we get out of here. We need to talk about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers being the Philadelphia Eagles 31 to 15 Brady. First drive, 2.05 seconds to throw, 1.5 A dot. No huddle, no huddle, no huddle. He changed that a little bit throughout the game, finished with the time to throw of 2.17 seconds, but it makes so much sense in that it completely takes the defensive line away from this game. And that was the Eagles' best chance of winning this, especially when you lose Tristan Wirfs, who's one of the best right tackles, if not the best right tackle already in the league. Also, when you lose your center for a few snaps and Ryan Jensen as well. But everything is just so calm with the Buccaneers offense composed, like they have a plan for absolutely everything. They are prepared. And it finishes, again, with a game that the Bucs absolutely dominated. 37 attempts with Brady, 29 completions, 271, and two touchdowns. He's just so dominant, like... People have overlooked Tom Brady, which is like silly to say, but he's been so dynamic this year and just it didn't matter who the skill guys were like 87 percent snaps for Tyler Johnson, 62 percent snaps for Brashad Perriman. Doesn't matter. We'll throw in Keyshawn Vaughn, who can barely even get on the field. Uh, he's 49 percent snaps. Giovanni Bernard comes back from an injury. He plays 49 percent of the snaps. It don't matter. You got Tom Brady and Mike Evans. I think that's one of the biggest storylines is the Mike Evans 
the stats from this regular season, throw them out the window. They do not matter. When you only have Mike Evans now, and it is just him, they're going to throw him the ball a billion times. So that was the who I paired Steph Diggs uh, with the pick'em line um, for the boost. And by the way, we'll have another boost out there uh, on Underdog Fantasy, promo code the show. Mike Evans is going to have like a 35, 40% target share, and it's just going to yep. be nonstop, and he's so good. He looks healthy out there, and his numbers, I think, are going to be through the roof. I think that Rob Gronkowski, uh, I know he scored a touchdown, had a couple of receptions. I think his yards are going to come up too. When the Bucks are going to have a little bit more pressure, the Eagles cannot move the ball at all. I think Mike Evans, Gronk, and Brady's numbers are going to be insane the rest of the year. Yeah, it was pretty clear that Brady said that, hey, without Lenny, maybe we can say without Rojo, that Giovanni Bernard is going to be in there as my my passing down back as well with with seven targets. But as you alluded to on Twitter, Leonard Fournette has announced that he is going to be back on the field this week. And that changes things once again. I do want to point out, though, like the Tristan Wirfs injury, we're going to find out more by the time our preview show rolls around on Thursday. That's so massive. Like in the past two years combined, when you think of the Bucks, to me, what stood out was ridiculous injury luck along the offensive line. Basically the same five starters, I think, for every single game last year and basically the same thing this year. And if that changes now without some skill position players, it's just more difficult. I'm not saying it's going to tank them at all. It just becomes more difficult because that is the stability along with the quarterback style that Brady has for them to be at their best, even missing some pieces at wide receiver. Like Tristan Wirfs to me is more important than Chris Godwin and, and Antonio Brown to this offense. I wouldn't say that. I, I would say in, in some offenses, I think that's the fact that the Bucks have two different tight ends, that if things were getting so bad that they can just either have Gronk or Cameron Brait stand there and kind of chip because those guys are such good blockers themselves. Uh, I, I do think that the Chris Godwin and Antonio Brown, uh, both of them missing, isn't as big of a deal because they have Mike Evans in Gronk and just Tom Brady's mind. Like he always going to find the check down at wide or at running back too. So, they're basically what I'm saying is Tom Brady mask all these issues. Yep. <laughs> like it doesn't really matter all that much. Cause even with a bunch of scrubs, he's going to be able to get it off. I think that the thing that we have to decide for the gauntlet and for the rest of the playoffs, what are we doing with Leonard Fournette versus Giovanni Bernard versus Keyshawn uh, Vaughn? Uh, people are asking me, do we think that Leonard, Leonard Fournette's going to have his 80, 90% role or is Giovanni Bernard going to come back and play some of the passing downs? And it's going to be more of like Leonard Fournette more. I was like a Rojo and Giovanni Bernard's uh, return last week when he played more than half of the routes, if he's going to be the new third down back. Do you have any initial thoughts there? Um, I think it's more of a tell when Gio's out there versus Lenny. Right. Because Leonard Fournette can do everything at a, at a fairly good degree, right? And Giovanni Bernard cannot do that. Ronald Jones cannot do that, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that like that's the biggest difference. And when you look, because you kind of have to separate these – ADPs for playoff best ball by AFC and NFC because you don't want to take two in the NFC or two in the AFC, right? And so it's Aaron Jones as the running back two and then Leonard Fournette as the running back five. I mean, that's a gap in about six picks between the two as well. That's a full round almost. I I, I mean, I understand we haven't seen the Packers yet and maybe we're diving a bit too deep here on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but I feel really pretty good about the Bucs situation right now to at least get to the NFC Championship and then they have as good of a shot as I think anyone, especially with how Todd Bowles is dialing up that defense right now, how they're getting healthier on that side of the ball as well to make it to the Super Bowl with Lenny being, you know, at worst, at worst, a 70% player. 
Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think we're going to learn more from reports for Thursday shows, but even just like looking at game theory wise, there's not that many really stud fantasy running backs the rest of the way. It's a lot of committees in these backfields and teams that don't use their running backs very much in the first place. If you could get Leonard Fournette back for the rest of this playoffs, you could have a distinct advantage at one position. So even if I don't think that he's going to have the same workload, if Giovanni Bernard's going to mix in a little bit, I still think that you need to shoot for the ceiling of Leonard Fournette. It's like Leonard Fournette as a bell cow and Leonard Fournette as a bell cow when there are no other bell cows. Basically, every single other team is using a committee. So I think I would roll the dice on Leonard Fournette at ADP. Closing thoughts on the Philadelphia Eagles here. Again, we have a whole offseason to talk about this. Jalen Hurts finishes 23 of 43, 258, one touchdown in the air, two interceptions, adds another 39 yards. Part of me wonders, based on how the Eagles started this season, I think sixth highest in neutral pass rate across the league, that that is really what Nick Sirianni wants to be at his heart with his offense. Because I think all of us knew that the personnel didn't match that, but he wanted to try it anyways. Then realize this is not going to work. We need to lean into our strengths along the offensive line, stable of running backs, running quarterback. But I'm sure that, especially after this Jalen Hurts performance, uh, there's going to be a lot of conversation. And maybe Sirianni might, you know, lead some of that based on what, again, his vision and what he was hired to do offensively for this team. Because I don't think, like, many teams feel that they can be successful long-term with this style. And I, I think that's right. Like, they just couldn't pass the ball, period. So if the conversation gets louder because they have three first-round picks. Like, they can act on it. Like, that's, like, the difference. A lot of teams will have these conversations. If this was Jalen Hurts on another team, like, you're like, you know, we're rocking with Jalen Hurts. But this is, like, one of the teams that actually has some flexibility. If I were running things, you have Gardner Minshew and Jalen Hurts for under contract next year for under $3 million. Both of those quarterbacks arguably might be top 32. And they might not be top 15 or anything, but you can get stable quarterback play between those two. I would use all your th- first round picks this year on receivers, uh, corners, all those. And then next year, if you want to get aggressive, then use it. That's when you can kind of trade for the future and trade future first round picks and make that aggressive move. I like to see Jalen Hurts with one more season. I think he earned it. I think the big thing that Jalen Hurts has going for him is this dude is like one of the best leaders in, in football. His teammates have they his back him. 100%. That that would really tick some, some of the Eagles players off if they trade Jalen Hurts or something like that. And I think that if you are starting over, you have to trade Jalen Hurts because he has some value. Um, yeah. And I think that would be one of those things where like, I think that like personalities matter and we kind of overlook some of these things. I think that you have to stick with Jalen hurts uh, after leading this team. We thought this team had a bottom five roster and they're in the playoffs. Um, yeah. It, it also hurts your team though. When Jordan Whitehead falls down, you have a deep post across the field when it's a much tighter game and he just misses even seeing Quez yeah. Watkins, you know, come open on that side, on that portion of the defense and instead leaves a clean pocket. Like he leaves a clean pocket way, way too often. Yeah. I mean, we're going to talk about it on Wednesday, but this is absolutely going to be a player in in the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes, even though he already turned them down once Deshaun has no ability to turn anyone down anymore after Miami turned him down. Right. So we'll talk about that. But Dallas Goddard, Devontae Smith, again, Devontae Smith's route tree, his reception perception this year, all green, baby. All green. What about Jalen Rager? No <laughs> I mean, how poetic to end it on that muff punt. And then he's on the side and being like, oh, I don't know. It's because you turn like a cruise ship, bro. It's tough. It's turning like cruise ships out here. 
That can't happen. Okay. Let's close out with the Kansas City Chiefs being the Pittsburgh Steelers 42 to 21. Yes, in a span of 10 minutes and 36 seconds on the scoreboard, Patrick Mahomes throws five touchdowns. Not bad. I mean, it, it took a little time for it to get going, but man, when it got going, when it revved up, the Chiefs offense was humming, and we even we even got a little injection of Jet. Yes, Jet, Jarek McKinnon, 12 carries, 61 yards to go along with six receptions for another, what, 81 yards and a score. We've been asking for juice out of that backfield. This little magic we have some now. 78% of the snaps. He started 75% of the routes. I mean, like we haven't seen a Chiefs running back get this size workload in a while, maybe since uh, it was Daryl Williams. Daryl Williams tried to play, clearly was not ready. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is probably coming back this week, but that's still definitely TBD. And the ESPN reporter for the Chiefs, he wrote that it's too early for the Chiefs to know how they might split their workload uh, for next week. But they said that he has, quote, an additional option with McKinnon, and McKinnon has made a major push for continued playing time. And I think if you're just looking at complementary pieces, I think the best way that they should attack this is McKinnon, now that they don't have to give him the biggest workload, let him be explosive in passing situations, and then let Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, whose strengths are running between the tackles, that's how I would use him. And then Darrell Williams is like, you can be the third guy. And I think that they should use Jarek McKinnon. The dude looks way faster than any other running back that, they, that they've used um, all season outside of maybe Derek Gore, who barely played this week anyways. I don't really have too much to say about this game, to be perfectly honest with you. Like, the Chiefs stomped a Steelers team that we knew was up against it. Felt like at points, like, they didn't want to play another game. What's it out to me, and I didn't realize this, did you know Frank Clark is tied for fifth in NFL postseason history in sacks? I mean, it's no. William McGinnis, Bruce Smith, Terrell Suggs, Reggie White, and then Frank Clark is there with 11. Now, I'm sure some of Reggie White's weren't counted because they might not have been, you know, picking out sacks at that point, but that's crazy, man. Frank Clark all the way up there. Um, that Chiefs defense, again, we talk about evolutions. There were points where that was abysmal. That was one of the worst units in the league, especially stuffing the run. And now it's an absolutely unit that you can win with. Um, and then, again, the postseason last year where Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl was just hit play after play after play after play. I know TJ Watt got home and Patrick Mahomes tried to extend a lot of plays and you and I talked about like that was the only path to victory and it's so funny that like that led to the opening touchdown but overall like that offensive line too especially with the running game that you just talked about that could be another huge difference maker after all the investment this offseason yeah the Melvin Ingram trade they just got it going on the offensive line is just so good and it was last week all right we need to settle this Chiefs running backs right now Darrell Williams then Clyde Edwards Hilaire then Jarek McKinnon on uh, the gauntlet returns ADP right now. I think I would go CH1, then Jarek McKinnon, and then I would probably not draft Darrell Williams until his ADP is into the very last round. I think that there's no re there's Darrell Williams is not better at CH between the tackles. He's not better than McKinnon on third downs. What exactly do you do here? I think that McKinnon CH should be uh, 
being drafted right next to each other. And I would not begrudge anyone if you want to take Jarek McKinnon the first of these backs either, because we haven't seen CEH on the practice field. We haven't seen him, you know, in uniform in a while. And they just flat out benched Darrell Williams. You know, he screwed up. He missed that handoff on the Wildcat, right? And then gone. You're out of here. And I think dependable at best is what Darrell Williams was offering this team. And once you don't offer that, then what do you, you don't bring juice. You don't bring stability. You bring nothing. And yeah, Jarek McKinnon, maybe they save him. Remember Dwayne? Is it, was it Dwayne Thompson? Darwin Thompson. Darwin Thompson. Darwin Thompson. What What's cool? Uh, Utah state. There we go. Let's go. I'm sure uh, all the chat got that as well. I've got a uh, one more note looking at the wide receiver rotation. Pretty interesting. Uh, Tyreek did not play on every single snap. There was a little bit of rotation. I'm not sure if that was injury or what the deal is with that. But Demarcus Robinson, 64% of the routes. Byron Pringle, 62%. McCole Hardman, 53%. And over the last uh, three games, Tyreek Hill has been playing in the slot on like three-fourths of his uh, routes, which I find kind of interesting. Uh, they're kind of moving all four of these receivers around. But it's at the point where... You can take flyers like right now. Demarcus Robinson and McCole Hardman are being drafted well after Byron Pringle. I don't see there being that much of a difference between them. It sounds like all four of these receivers um, are going to be mixing in a little bit. How did it feel to troll the entire Twitterverse with your Ben Roethlisberger fake passing chart that I think so, so, so many people believed? In fact, reputable respectable writers got them real life Hayden I, I looked a million impressions so there's a million people out there that think that Be, uh, Big Ben threw behind the line of scrimmage on like 68% of his dropbacks <laughs> I love how but what's no so one, funny is we were all watching the game and we saw attempted deep shots to chase Claypool I couldn't believe this I couldn't <laughs> believe how many verified friends of the show absolutely got trolled count those dots I think there's probably about 35 dots and i say on the chart that there's only 23 can we just read through these quote treats i mean they are giving him hell now i i would have felt bad i was thinking about deleting this post but i was getting such a good kick out of this if this wasn't big ben and if this was like somebody else i kind of respect then i would have taken it down but like if a lot of people think that big ben like was this much of a coward in his last game so be it i don't really care but it was funny to see that like some of the guys like i'm not gonna throw out any names but some of some of our friends were the first one to blow this up, and over a million people thought that this was true. It was it was good stuff. Yeah, I know. Like Mike Lombardi and company got got by the tone setters on that oh, yeah. Mike McCarthy press conference analytics tweet as well. Uh, you you weren't far behind. I'm trying to find just one blue check mark, but none none are popping up here. Um, hey, we could do a whole podcast on just these uh, on these quote treats because so they good. they're pretty electric. Yeah, what is his Adolf? You did the math on my on this. <laughs> he had like what was so good is I was. I mean, I have like barely no Photoshop. I I I can I know Photoshop enough to do some of these memes, but I mean, look how shitty. Some how did you do this? Photos. Take us through the process here. I first off had to get rid of all the dots that were downfield, so I, I used the clone stamp tool on on uh, Photoshop, and then I was trying to highlight the the specific dots. But if you actually look at the dots the backdrops are different because the shades of gray on the football field changed. So when I was copy pasting them, you can see how shitty they were. And then, then if you look, some of the dots, there's like overlaps dots, but it's like right next to each other where you can see I, I took those dots and just moved them down. So this was very amateur, but uh, 
it was enough to get him. And then my favorite, you should have just put one big dot down the field. Just one, just one for Chase. I was going to have, I was going to have a couple of the dots so far off the screen and down to the right. Like it was like 25 yards behind the line of scrimmage, but didn't want to give it away. There were so many people in my mentions saying, no, I saw a play downfield. What about the touchdown? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> you're, you're just going to put your head down and, and stick with the bit. You got to do almost it. There. You're almost there. Yeah. Shout out to the, to- the tone setters. This was, uh, this was fantastic. All right. That's going to do it for this show. Glad you have that in your back pocket whenever you need to do it, Hayden. Uh, we got to find a new, a new victim though. After, after big Ben goes off into the sunset, some say hall of fame career, I guess, I guess he will end up there. Okay. We'll be back here tomorrow with the news that you missed when you were watching games. There is a lot of it. I'm really excited to do this show because these are conversations we're going to have for weeks and months of the off season. And they all get started right now. And again, a lot of stuff got leaked on the mornings of the games, but no one paid attention because people were just ready to watch some football. All right, go and subscribe to the Trill Weather show with Trill Weathers, his YouTube channel. Subscribe to us as well down below. If you've never played, Pick them, playoff best ball, anything of the sort. Underdog Fantasy is your friend. App Store, desktop, whatever. Promo code the show and go and do it. Look at that beauty. The mitten returns. The gauntlet returns. We have a special line for you as well in the pick them lobby this weekend. So go and play these fun, fun games. All right, everyone. Thank you, Hayden. Thank you, chat. Up the villa. Talk to you all soon. See ya.